Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. It's always exciting to see that, but you know those partings are are um, are difficult. But uh, I'm so excited to see that Sarah is really, really following the things that God has called her to do. We have other students that are out around the country as well. We had one student from our ID program start as a, a temporary intern at a four-square church in Salmon Creek. She did so well, they hired her on as a full-time youth pastor. So she's starting now, full-time youth pastor. We all have another ID student that was just hired on as a full-time children's pastor, youth pastor in Happy Valley. And so uh, it's just sending folks out and uh, seeing what God does. Let's continue to pray that way. Let's pray for the harvest. Well, I want to thank James for tackling three difficult subjects. He did a wonderful job, and I want to thank James for that. He's taking a break right now, as you can imagine. He's, uh, what's up with that, you know? Just taking some time away, but, um, but he's, uh, he did a wonderful job. We had a great vacation. Thank you for your prayers. As I said earlier, we spent three weeks away. Those three weeks, we did have our grandkids. We learned a lot. Uh, we learned that we are no longer parents. We are grandparents. That's what we learned. But there were a lot of wonderful things. You know, one of the things that happened to remind me that we are in a different generation. My grandkids are in a different generation than I grew up in. My granddaughter was eating some watermelon, as you do in the summer. You eat a lot of watermelon. And she was uh, chewing through this watermelon, and she looked up at her grandmother, and she said, Grandma, there's a bean in my watermelon. Well, it occurred to us, they, they, they've lived without seeds in watermelons, you know. We used to, I used to have spitting contests with the seeds in the watermelon, now our kids, they, they don't have that fun anymore. They just get plain old watermelon with no seeds. That's not any fun, but uh, it does tell you a little bit about our, our kids and, and uh, the generation that we live in. Let's do this. Uh, I want to continue something that we started a while ago in my last message a few weeks ago. I thought that I was, I really did, I thought that I was finished uh, with a series Knowing Jesus, but apparently God had other ideas. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to take a few more weeks studying this subject. And this is what I'm pretty sure of. I'm pretty sure it's more for me than it is for you. And so if you'll just bear with me, we're going to look at a few more things that Jesus had to say about knowing and following him. Because this series has been about what it means to follow Jesus. In order to fully do that, we must humble ourselves. And if you remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago out of Luke chapter 14. We're going to return there again today. And that humility or being humble is so counterintuitive. It's, it's really not the way that we're taught to live in this world. Uh, we don't understand altogether what it means. Humility says uh, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. And we say, well, that's crazy. If I don't promote myself, who will promote me? Humility says, in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than yourself. But we want to think about ourselves as better than those around us. Humility says, forget about your, yourself long enough to lend a helping hand to others. And what we will say is, well, I, I need to work. I need to make it all for me. I need to bring in what I need to bring in for myself. Jesus is constantly, he's telling us to live the opposite than what our natural instincts tell us to do. It's an upside down way of living. We've been taught a whole different set of values in the world that we live in. Jesus comes along and he says, listen, I'm going to turn those values upside down. 
I'm going to ask you to live in a counterintuitive way, a way that, that, that is different than the way your natural life would want to live, your instincts would want to tell you to live. Jesus says to humble yourself so that you can be lifted up. But he also says something else. He also says that, and this sounds a bit strange, but he says to empty yourself so that you would be filled. So in order for him to do his work in us, he can do his work through us, we need to empty ourselves. And this is what I know about my relationship with God, and this is the thing that, 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 that I've focused on really in these last three weeks, is that God wants to fill us up. But in order for him to fill us up, we need to come to him empty. And I think that if you're going to hear any theme today, that would be the theme that I would, I would hold on to. In order for God to fill you up, you need to come to God empty. And we're not used to doing that. And it's hard for us in the natural to do that. Because God loves to fill what's empty. This is one of those things about God. He loves to fill those things that are empty. And I'm going to give you an example of that. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. It's one of my favorite stories about the prophets. This happens to be a story about the life and times of Elisha. And Elisha was the one who followed Elisha. He was his protege, and he followed him, and he learned the miraculous ways of God. And this is certainly a miraculous way of God here, and it really has to do with the down and out. It really has to do with people who cannot provide for themselves. It has to do with people who know that they're just empty. They are just empty. This particular person is a widow that Elijah crossed paths with. And it goes like this. It says, And a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elijah, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house. And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And then he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all of your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shut the door behind you and your sons, and then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass that when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And I want you to catch this. And he said to her, there's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and she told the man of God and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live, live on the rest. Here it is. God loves to fill what is empty. Did you notice verse 6? I paused there. I read it a little more emphatically. But, but it's interesting here because what happens is when there were no more vessels to fill, there was no more miracle to experience. And this is what I wonder in my own life, that when I come to the Lord, when I come to the Lord full of my own things, my own agenda, my own ideas, my own plans, and he looks at me and he said, I'd love to fill you, but you're filled with your own stuff. I can't do that. The miracle ceases. 
I wonder how many times I've missed out on miracles because I've come to God full of myself or full of religion or full of other things. And God really wants to do that work because we know through Scripture that He loves to fill that which is empty. That, that's the nature of God. But you see here, when there's nothing left to fill, the miracle ceased. And what happens when we bring Him a jar that's already full? What's the purpose of a jar? What is it? The jar is to be filled. That is the simple purpose of a jar. The jar doesn't fill itself. What does the jar do? The jar just receives. And so often in Scripture, the metaphor is used of us being that what? That vessel. You can see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. I certainly see it in this story right here that the vessel really represents me. It represents my life. So what's the only thing that must be true about a jar in order to be filled? What's the only thing that needs to be true? It needs to be empty. The the only qualification, the only requirement is it needs to be empty. A jar can't work for itself. A jar doesn't get things done on its own. A jar is specifically designed, this vessel is specifically designed to be filled, to receive the filling. And so we see what's happening here. We see how we're being led here. Some of you, I think, have come in here today as empty jars. And it might have happened in a few ways. Life has just emptied you out. I mean, you've just gone through uh, maybe a horrendous time, a trial, a struggle, a difficult relationship. And, and you are just coming and you're saying, man, I confess, I am, I am empty because my jar has been turned upside down. Others may say, you know what, I've gone before the Lord and I just say, God, here I am, I'm empty, I need you to fill me. But either way, what we're saying is we are empty. There might be others here today and you've come and your jar is full today. But I think the question is, is what are you full of? What is it that you're filling your vessel with? What's, what's in your heart? What's there? What have you filled yourself with? A few weeks ago, if you remember, we had some wonderful missionaries here, our missionaries to Costa Rica, Joshua, Cynthia Hubbard. Joshua grew up here in this church, was sent out to a church plant that we started in Berea, Kentucky. From there, he went to Costa Rica, met his wife, who was a medical doctor, and they have been ministering for 10 years to the native people's in the hills of Costa Rica, one of the last indigenous tribes of Costa Rica, the Cabares. And, and, and what's amazing is, is he tells me these stories. I, I said, Joshua, what do, what do they do? These are empty people. These are poor, poor people. How, how do they deal with hardship? How do they deal with things that are disastrous? Because they're vulnerable. They're prone to that. And he told me this, and I, I love what he says here. He says, you know when the floods come? I mean, the floods just come every year, and they wipe out bridges, and they come through their villages, and the the floodwaters get high. You know what the cabareros do? You know what they do? They go fishing. They go fishing because they look at it, and they say, well, this is a time to fish. This is a time that, that God is using to replenish the soil. This is a time for us to get together as community. So when they see their emptiness, they know that it's going to, to be filled. They recognize that. Amazing people. They don't focus on destruction. What they focus on is the fact that they are now empty, but it's time to go fishing. It's time to fish. 
time to plant crops. You see, that's how they see, that's how they look at destruction and devastation in their own life. The upheaval, their, their vessel's been turned upside down. And what do they say? Let's go fishing. I love those people. I know some of you guys want to do that too. You know, let's go fishing. God loves to fill that which is empty. If you study the Gospels, you see it time and time again. A few examples in John chapter 2. You see what was empty was the wine at this marriage supper. And what Jesus does is he comes and he fills all that they had with wine. Jesus loves to fill that which is empty. You look at John chapter 4. A woman at a well, a Samaritan woman talking to Jesus. And they're talking about religious things. And he can see their soul is dried up. He could see that there's something there that needs to be filled. And he says, listen, if you drink of this water, if you fill yourself with this water, you will never thirst again. And what does he do? He fills up an empty soul. In John chapter 6, there were people sitting on a hillside. So many gathered to follow Jesus, to hear what he had to say. And I imagine that Jesus is just listening. And what he hears more than anything else are the stomachs that are growling. And he knows he wants to fill those stomachs. And so he feeds 5,000 people. He loves to fill those things that are empty. What I'd like you to do is turn to another place in your Bible, if you would, Uh, Look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. We've been there once before in this series. But I want to continue on that chapter a little more. And specifically, we're looking at verses 15 through 24. I want to read verses 15 through 24. But before I do, let me give you a little context here. Because at the beginning of the chapter, it starts out with Jesus being invited to a banquet that's being put on by a Pharisee. Now, you have to know the motivation here. The motivation of the Pharisees really wasn't Pure. It wasn't that they wanted to, uh, to, to, to meet Jesus and be filled by Jesus. They came already filled. They came with their own religion. They came with their own pride. They came filled with their own stuff themselves. And you'll see at one point, I think it's in verse 1, it says, And they watched him closely. They listened to him closely. They were wanting to trap him. And so they asked him a question, hey, uh, because he healed a, a man on the Sabbath. They said, what about this? Have you broken the law? And he said, would one of you, if you lost an oxen or a donkey in a pit, would you not pull them out on the Sabbath? And then it says, and I love this, it says, and they had nothing to say. And then he goes on and he talks to them about a great banquet. And he uses this parable. And let me read it to you. It says, Now when one of those sat at the table with him and heard these things, he said to them, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus said to him, A certain man gave a great supper, invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and I must see it. I ask you to please excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to please excuse me. And still another, I, I've, I've married, I have a wife and therefore I cannot come. And so that servant came and he reported these things to this, his master. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And I'll add this, those that know that they're empty. Bring them to me. Bring them to this banquet. 
And the servant said, Master, it is done as you command, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now this is a parable, and there's metaphors here. And one of the things that you need to know is the master really represents God. And the servant, and you'll see it in another gospel, it's kind of the same story. The servant represents Jesus going out, coming to those that are blind, those that are poor, those that are maimed. And what he's doing is he's inviting people to be filled. He's inviting them to experience. Here's something to remember. There is a difference between being full and being fulfilled. Please remember that. A difference from being full than being fulfilled. And when Jesus talks about a banquet or a great supper or a great table, it really is a metaphor for a place that God addresses the deepest needs of our heart. Whenever he's calling people around a table, he's doing it not just for the physical reasons, he's doing it for the spiritual reasons. He's bringing people who are hungry, who know they're empty, and he's saying, come around this table because I will meet the deepest needs of your heart, of your life. That's one of the lessons we learn when we come around the communion table. What Jesus is saying is, do this in remembrance of me. Come and confess your emptiness. And what you'll be filled with is you'll be filled with my body and my blood. You will have my very DNA because you're empty. You need me. Come and be filled at this table. You see, there's these wonderful places where he says, be filled here. Be filled here. It's where people can come and not only be filled, but be fulfilled. In verse 18, they all begin to make these excuses. You'll see three excuses that are made here for not coming to the banquet. And they make these excuses, and they're, they're polite about it. They're nice about it, but, they, but they're still excuses. And I want to look at those three, and I know when I went through these three excuses, I, I saw myself in all of them. I looked at this, and I, I thought, wow, I, I've done that before, and... I've done that before, and I've done that before. And maybe when you look at these, you'll think the same way. But the first guy says, I just bought a field. I just bought a field. What this is a reference to, what I can understand this to be a reference to, is personal gain. It's like saying, well, I just bought a house, and I I used to have time. Really, I used to have time to to do the things that God wanted me to do. But but now I have a house, and it's, it's just taking up all my time. I mean, my, my, my waking moments, my, my evenings, I'm just, I'm just doing all I can to, to, to work on this house. It's kind of like that for us today, that we might think the same thing. I want you to think about this. Have you paid attention recently, and, and it, it's been going on for quite some time, but we, we, we're looking at commercials today, and what I see in commercials is there, you know, they're based on one simple principle. The principle that commercials to us today that we read and see are based on this. They're based on the presumption of emptiness. They're based on the fact that they believe everyone in their audience is empty and needs something. And guess what? They have that something. When you look around, when you see what's going on in the world today, that you and I, they're saying, you and I are missing something from our lives. And if we had it, we would be full. If we only had this new car, my life would be, oh my goodness, it would be just so much better. If I was only wearing these kind of clothes or this kind of perfume or this kind of cologne or if I went to this gym, I would look this way or, or, see, it's all, it's based, commercialism today 
aim to you is based on the presumption that you are empty. And they have what you need to be full. The basic idea of consumerism is the idea that our success and happiness is directly related to our ever-increasing consumption of goods. That if I don't feel happy, I need to consume a little bit more. Man, I, I'm just not feeling happy. I'm feeling a little empty. So what's going to solve that? Hey, let me just consume more. And, and, and maybe, maybe that'll satisfy me. Maybe that'll take care of the emptiness. That who we are and what we do is centered around consumption. This is how many of us, uh, we deal with our own emptiness. That, that when we have this, this nagging emptiness, this almost systemic kind of emptiness, what we want to do is we want to go fill it with, with something that's not God. We deal with emptiness by living in a constant state of consumption. And we think more about what we don't have instead of being thankful for what we do have. That's the difference. Consumed, obsessed with what I don't have. My waking moments, I need to earn more money because I don't have this. I need to do more things and stay more busy because I don't have this. Obsessed with what we don't have as opposed to being grateful and thankful for what we do have. It is a world of difference. Let me say this again. There's a difference between being full and being fulfilled. Mother Teresa said it this way. She said, The spiritual poverty of our Western world is much greater than the physical poverty of our people in India. You in the West have millions of people who suffer such terrible loneliness and emptiness. Filling the emptiness with material gain. That's really what, what, the, what the first excuse is really all about. And then the second guy says this. I, I've just bought five oxen in verse 19. You know, I think this is a reference to work and responsibility and busyness. Boy, I can't do this now because my business is expanding. This is the busy season. This is the busiest time. Things are full. My calendar's full. My life is full. My activities are full. I'm full to the brim. I'm full. And we get caught in the busy trap. And in fact, there was a study done on uh, people by the New York Times in 2012. And they did this study. And they asked people just this one question. They just asked this question, how are you doing? How, How are you doing? The number one answer. The number one answer is what do you think it was? I'm fine, but it wasn't I'm fine. I'm busy. Number one answer. Whoa, how are you doing? I'm I'm so busy. I got got a lot of things on my plate. I don't know what to do. I'm just busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. Number one answer. Number one answer. And the New York Times went on and wrote this. Now, these aren't Christian folks. This is what they wrote. Busyness serves as kind of a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life can't be silly or trivial. You need to make a living. You need to do these kinds of things. And it goes on to say this. We are busy because of our own ambition, our own drive, because we are addicted to busyness and we dread what we might face in its absence. Isn't that true? Well, this is the one that convicts me. Stay busy because the busier I am, the more worth I provide, the more value I bring. 
So my value is found other places and not in my identity with Christ. We're afraid really to slow down because of what we might have to face. Busyness is an epidemic in our culture. It is an epidemic. And now what's happening is we're not only becoming uh, obsessive consumers of goods, but we're becoming obsessive uh, uh, consumers of information and entertainment. Uh, Someone else did a survey of of people who have smartphones, and uh, they wanted to find out when you wake up in the morning, how long does it take you to get to your smartphone? That that's the first thing that you look at, that that's what you're attached to, that you can't do without it. And they said the average person with a smartphone, 80%, within 15 minutes, they're checking their, their smartphone. Wow. Then another question was asked. Now, this is what got me. How many take your smartphone to the bathroom with you? 75% of all people who use smartphones take their iPhone to the bathroom. You know what they're called? There's actually a name for it now. Toilet texters. That's what they're called. Yeah. They go in the bathroom and they toilet text. I don't know. We are obsessed with information. We are obsessed with entertainment. It's kind of amazing. I... Um, I you know, getting away for a couple of weeks, I realized that I fit into this category, you know. That, that I want to check my iPad or iPhone. You know, someone might be calling me. There might be an important email. There might be, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was so convicted one day. I got up and I went, I got to get my iPad. And the Lord says, would you just shut the thing? Would you just leave it alone? And, um, and so I did. I just, I told Annette, I, I got I to gotta fast this thing for a little bit. I, I do. This was in the morning, and let me tell you about two in the afternoon. I was getting the shakes, little, <laughs> getting little withdrawals, you know, those kind of. Hey, my, where, where is it? Wow! Did it show me something? It did. It showed me something about my my emptiness. It showed me something about what what I use, what I do to fill that emptiness. And, and listen again. Remember, you go to him full; he can't fill you. And so I I just said, Lord, I. I'm convicted. I repent. I need to come to you empty so that you can fill me. And then the third person says, man, I'm busy. I just got married, you know. This is taking up a lot of my time. This is a reference to me of the filling, the, the filling that comes and, and filling the emptiness with romantic love. You know, these are people who say to Jesus, Jesus, I, I really think that that." That really what I need is I need to sit at another table. Thanks for inviting me uh, to this table. I really appreciate it. It's great. You're very kind. You're very generous. But you know, there's another table that I'd like to sit at. And that table has wedding cake. And I'd like to go over there and sit at that table. Because I I think that's really where my emptiness is going to be taken care of. It's going to be taken care of with that person right there. That's where my, my emptiness is going to be filled with that person. And so what happens is we opt out of the table that Jesus has set and we go to another table and that's where we want to be filled. We want our emptiness to be taken care of there. That is a survey. I'm giving you some surveys, but it's important you understand this. The number one line, romantic line, used in movies in the last 15 or 20 years, uh, I, I don't know, we want to take a guess? It's uh, Jerry Maguire, you complete me. That, that you complete me. 
That's the, that's his, that's the best. Don't, I, I'm sorry about that. You know, that just really, that's pretty shallow. But I didn't, I didn't make that up. You complete me. You complete me. You are the one that fills my emptiness. Now, this is what I suspect. This is what I suspect. If the movie kept going on, I mean, if it continued, listen, what does every married couple in this room know? No, she didn't. Every married couple knows that. No, she didn't. And if the movie would have kept going, we would have found that out, but the movie stops right close there. What happens for a lot of people? Well, a lot of people, they think, well, he, he's going to complete me or she's going to complete me. And, and when it doesn't happen, when it doesn't happen the way that we want it to happen, we think that what's, what's wrong with him? Man, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? They, I thought this person was going to fill this emptiness, and that's not even happening. What's wrong? I, I need, maybe I made a mistake. I, I need to go out and look somewhere else. Because that person doesn't complete me. That person doesn't fill my emptiness. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go out and hunt around for somebody I think will. And you see the dilemma we face today. You, you, you see what's happening here today. There must be someone else out there because I still feel empty. And what... Jesus says to us today is, is come to me. Come to me, empty, and I will fill you. He will give you everything you need, all the spiritual nutrients you need. I heard a story a farmer told me not too long ago. It was really kind of interesting. He says, you know, late in the summer when the cows graze and, and the heat, the sun is just beating down on the field, it, it, what it does is it, 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 it saps all the nutrients out of the alfalfa or out of the grass or out of whatever those cows are eating. It just sucks the nutrients out. Cows don't know that. Cows just keep eating. And here is what happens. They get full, but they starve to death. They fill up, but because the nutrients aren't there that keep them alive, that are vital to their life, they are full, but they starve to death. And I had to think about my life. What is it we fill up on? Because what Jesus says here is, he says, listen, come to me empty, and I will fill you. I love what Ephesians 5.18 says, because the Apostle Paul really had this down. It says, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And... And what that is, is really, that, that, that's a passive imperative. It means you don't, this is what you need to be filled. This is what you need to, to, to be full. And to be fulfilled is the infilling of God's Holy Spirit in your life. And when is that to happen? Well, the way this is written, it says today, right now, this very moment, constantly be filled with the Spirit of God. Why? Because God knows that is exactly what you need to live life to its fullest, to be fulfilled, to be full to overflowing is the infilling of God's Holy Spirit. That every day there would be a confession from my lips that would say, I am empty today, but God, fill me. Fill me to overflowing with your Spirit. And Lord, please, when I come to those places and I use those excuses, I just bought a field, I just bought five oxen, I just got 
involved with someone else, Lord, I, none of these things satisfy. Be empty today so that you can be full and you can be fulfilled in Jesus. Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward and we're going to, let's just pray together. What would you do right where you are? Just bow your heads if you would and close your eyes and would you just um, would you just put your hands together in front of you kind of like a, a vessel just if you wouldn't do mind doing that that would be and I, this is just kind of a this actually is the international one of the international symbols of just saying hey I need something I need something I'm empty I need something Father we um, we come to you today as empty vessels and we we ask you to fill us um, that our tendency, our natural reaction is to fill ourselves up with ourselves and with other things and with things that r- really uh, don't matter. I mean, they don't matter on the scope of, of eternity and certainly in the relationship that we have with you. And so we come to you today empty and we say, please, Lord God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.